Our first Bible reading for today is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 19, and then uh, chapter 18, verses 18 to 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Chapter 18. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Amen. Um, the second reading for today is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Amen. So we are continuing our communion series of sermons, which kind of intersperse at the rate of roughly one a month, unless uh, Communion Sunday ticks some other box like it did last month when it was harvest. And uh, we're looking at the nature of what it means to be the kind of church that Bloomsbury Central Baptist Church is. I mean, the clue's kind of there in the name. We're a Baptist church. But many of us come from traditions uh, that are not necessarily Baptist by background. So we thought it would be good to have a regular series where we begin to unpick some strands of what it is to, to do church our way. And that's not to say that everybody else is, is wrong who does it differently in an objective sense. It might be to say that in a subjective sense, because that may be how I feel. But anyway, that's why I'm a Baptist. More of that in a minute. The question of independence and interdependence is not merely one of Baptist theology. This is our topic for this morning, independence and interdependence. With Brexit looming large on the horizon and dominating everything from the news headlines to this week's budget, 
Independence and interdependence is not merely a question of Baptist theology. The issue of how human beings relate to one another at local, national, and international levels is a hot topic in wider society itself. And if, if you doubt me, uh, Liz and I were fortunate enough to go and see you two performing at the O2 uh, last week. And it, the major theme of this major rock concert from, in my opinion, the world's greatest rock band was looking at issues of independence and interdependence in the current political climate. And, uh, you know, as I was preparing for today, I found myself thinking in a slightly idealised manner, I admit, about the European Union and the European economic community that preceded it. Specifically, I found myself thinking about the principle of subsidiarity. It may be that you've come across this word before, it may not. A, a brief history lesson may be helpful. Subsidiarity is defined in European law as the sharing of powers between several levels of authority, which means that in a, in a federation of states like the European Union, the wider organisational levels of the Union do not take all the decisions and that power exists at a local level to take localised decisions wherever possible. The purpose of the wider structure is to ensure that the localised decisions in one area are in some way connected to the localised decisions in another area. It's not to say that all local areas have to decide the same. Now, interestingly, this principle of subsidiarity, of of doing it local wherever possible and at a wider level only where necessary, found its way into the European statute via Christianity, specifically via the Roman Catholic Church, who have thought and published extensively on the way humans relate to each other at both local and wider levels for the good of all. It comes from their ecclesiology, of course. You've got a, a, a worldwide church with localised implementation. Catholic social teaching, therefore, says what individuals can accomplish by their own initiative and efforts should not be taken from them by a higher authority. A greater and higher social institution must not take over the duties of the subordinate organisations and derive them of their competence. Its purpose, rather, is to intervene in a subsidiary fashion, thus offering help when individuals or smaller institutions find that a task is beyond them. So in theory, this is written into the way the states of Europe should relate to each other in a, in a federation. This has, interestingly, a lot in common with one of the principles of community organising, which is that you should never do for others what they can do for themselves. And that's a quote from Saul Alinsky. Uh, who set up the organisation that we know in the UK as Citizens UK, which we're part of here at Bloomsbury through our membership of Westminster Citizens. The point about subsidiarity is that wherever possible, decisions should be taken at a local level. And the wider structures do not exist to enforce one-size-fits-all solutions onto the members of the union. Now, we might have a conversation about whether the European Union has departed from this principle. 
And your perspective on this may well determine or be determined by which newspaper you read. Regrettably, that is a conversation for another day. For now, I want to just notice the similarity between the principle of subsidiarity as it exists within Catholic social teaching and the question of independence and interdependence within the world of Baptist churches. The early Baptists were quite fond of writing what they called confessions of faith, which were efforts to put into words the truth that they thought they were discerning together as to how they should live as the body of Christ. They weren't once-for-all documents, but rather like a European Union constitution, for example, could be changed or amended by a process of revision and discernment. So here's a couple of quotes for us to chew over from the early years of the Baptists. The London Confession of 1644 says... Each congregation or church is a compact and knit city in itself. Yeah, that's us. A compact and knit city in itself. I mean, slightly 17th century language, I grant you. The 1652 Abingdon Association founding minute says that particular churches of Christ ought to hold firm communion with each other in point of advice in doubtful matters and controversies because there is the same relation betwixt the particular churches, each towards other, as there is betwixt particular members of one church. Do you get it? The way I relate to you, and you relate to each other as members of a church, ought to be mirrored in the way congregations relate to each other more widely within the Baptist family. And here in these two sentences from our Baptist ancestors in the middle of the 17th century, we have the problem of independence and interdependence in a nutshell. We are independent insofar as each church is complete in and of itself. Each congregation or church is a compact and knit city in itself. But we are interdependent as congregations because we need one another, particularly to discern together on matters doubtful or controversial. This same tension is found in the founding document of the Baptist Union of Great Britain, which came into existence in 1873. And with some minor changes, the wording they came up with in 1873 remains the basis of the Baptist Union to this day. Uh, the first of the three points that, that make the Baptist Union is that our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, is the sole and absolute authority in all matters pertaining to faith and practice, as revealed in the Holy Scriptures, and that each church has liberty under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to interpret and administer his laws. Then you've got the second point to do with baptism by immersion, and the third uh, about being committed to bearing witness to Jesus. The key thing to notice here, I think, is that in a document which was designed to set up the terms of the first ever national structure for Baptists in the UK, the first point is about the independence of the local congregation. 
the very document that is designed to bring about greater interdependence begins with a statement of independence. And this is so important because for Baptists, any relationships we have with other Baptists beyond those that we worship with week by week in our local congregation will always be secondary. The Baptist conviction, based on Jesus' words in Matthew 18, 20, which we had in our reading earlier, is that where two or three are gathered together in his name, he is present. This means that the primary unit of the church is the gathering of people in the name of Christ. Even if you only have two or three people, you can still call yourself church. You can still baptize. You can still celebrate communion. You can still ordain people to ministry. You can do all of the things that church does if you have two or three people gathering in the name of Jesus. Those of us who've had experience of other Christian traditions will know that this is very different to what is found in, for example, our good friends over the road in the Anglican church. There, the church is the wider institution. It's the priests who baptize and celebrate communion. It's the bishops who confirm and ordain. Without the wider institution, the local Anglican church is cut loose. It's not fully church. But for Baptists, if the Baptist Union disappeared in a puff of smoke, or, dare I say it, into a pension deficit-sized black hole, the local congregations that bear the name Baptist could just carry on baptizing, sharing the Lord's Supper, ordaining people for ministry. We are independent before we are interdependent. And this means that we are a movement, not an institution. Did you know it's technically incorrect to describe the Baptists as a denomination? This is because our wider structures are not the church, at least certainly not in the way that they are for many other Christian traditions. It's why we don't have a bishop or an archbishop. We have a general secretary. She's Lynn Green. She's absolutely fantastic. She represents us. She has a role nationally, but she is not the direct equivalent of the Archbishop of Canterbury. She represents our choice to work together. She does not impose authority over the local congregation. However, does this mean that we don't need each other? Does this mean that we here at Bloomsbury can dispense with the London Baptist Association? Or the Baptist Union? Or the Baptist Assembly? or the Baptist Missionary Society, or the European Baptist Federation, or the Baptist World Alliance, naming our various structures. Sometimes it might feel tempting to answer yes to this question, particularly when we find ourselves in tension with the wider structures. And of course, at one level, the answer is yes, we could. If we broke fellowship with the wider Baptist world, we could still carry on, on our own. I mean, we, we just could. That's the nature of it. But the answer you know I'm going to give is no. 
we can't just break fellowship with our fellow Baptists. And the reason I think we can't, or at the very least, the reason I think we shouldn't, is because we are bound to one another by more than pragmatic association. There was a trend a few years ago to refer to Baptist House and the various departments that are based there as the national resource. Just a couple of pictures for you there. Some of you will be looking at the one on the right longingly, Baptist House Hoban, 1903 to 1989. Some of you remember going to Baptist House Hoban? when Bloomsbury had a much closer link with the national structures than it does these days. Now it's moved to Didcot, and the one on the left is Baptist House Didcot, which some of us spend more time in than uh, we like. Um, Referring to it as the national resource, I think indicated a very functional view of the Baptist Union. And it came from a view that there are just some things it makes more sense to do together than individually. So if you have a a national resource kind of pragmatic approach to what it means to have a Baptist union and a Baptist house, things like ecumenical representation, safeguarding, legal advice on trust matters, holding a list of people appropriately trained for ministry, these things are much easier to do at scale, and we would use the national resource to do them. It's all very pragmatic, and if we go down this line, the basis of associating together becomes one of mutual convenience, really. Of course, what that does mean is that if it's no longer convenient, or less convenient than getting those services elsewhere, churches could just leave and move on. And this is exactly what's happened in various waves over the years, as former Baptist churches have left the Baptist Union to join um, the Jesus Army or New Frontiers, or the Federation of Independent Evangelical Churches, or whatever it is that was in vogue at the point where they decided they'd had enough with the Baptist structures. The interesting thing to note here, though, is that most of the churches that have left the Baptist Union have done so to join another form of union. They haven't just gone it alone. And interestingly, often the form of union that they've left the Baptists to go and join has often been one with a much higher sense of belonging than the rather pragmatic basis of thinking of the Baptist Union as a national resource. I mean, if you're part of New Frontiers, you're much more keyed into uh, relationships at a structural level than you are as a Baptist minister. And this says something profound to me, because I think that there is more to the Baptist Union than some convenient departments and some delegated services. I certainly don't believe that the wider Baptist structures are over and above the local congregation, but I'm not sure they're fully subordinate to us either. Uh, Here's a little uh, map that I had some fun putting together during the week. Uh, these These are the various geographical associations that make up the Baptist Union. And churches belong to a local association and then the associations make it up. So you can see we're on the right-hand side, sort of second from the bottom, the LBA, the London Baptist Association, is, is the association we're part of. I think the Baptist Union 
which is made up of churches, associations, and colleges, is not merely a service industry for Baptist churches. You see, if we are serious that the church is present whenever two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus, then the church is present at Baptist Association gatherings and at National Baptist Assemblies. So we have the London Baptist Association meeting coming up uh, in a couple of weeks' time, which I won't be at because I'm going to be in, in Israel. That is an expression of church when people gather together in the name of Jesus, just as we are church when we gather together in the name of Jesus. These wider gatherings are an expression of what it means to be Baptist. The local congregation is the primary expression of church, but it is not the only expression of church that can exist in a Baptist context. The association gathering, the national assembly, they also are church because they are two or three or more, two or three thousand in some cases, gathering together in the name of Jesus. The first time this started to make sense to me personally was when I was 16 and I attended the Baptist World Youth Congress in Glasgow in 1988. For the first time in my life, I discovered that the Baptist church existed beyond the Vine Baptist Church Sevenoaks. And it was amazing. It was multi-ethnic, it was multi-voiced, it was inspiring, it was exciting, it was challenging, it was brilliant. And I believe it was a foretaste of the coming kingdom of God. And as a teenager exploring a call to Baptist ministry, to realize that my Baptist family extended around the world and related in ways that before then I'd not even imagined was truly life-changing. And this is why every year except this year, I've always prioritized attending the Baptist assembly. And I would have gone this year, but we had a wedding here, which I was taking. So Andrea, you know, you know how much I love you that I missed my first Baptist assembly since ordination to be at your wedding. <laughs> For me, missing these wider gatherings feels a bit like missing Christmas with my family. It's, it's possible to do it, but I know that I'm poorer for not having gone. And I believe that they are poorer for me not having been there. These wider gatherings, you see, are expressions of the covenant relationships that bind us together across congregations, not just within them. The God who reaches out in grace to call us his people calls us to trust him and to trust one another. We are invited to a vertical relationship with God in Christ by his spirit. That's where the covenant begins. But it extends into horizontal relationship with one another within our local fellowship and also between fellowships. We don't associate with other Baptist congregations through the wider structures so that they can tell us what to do or even so that we can tell them what to do. We associate together because we are interdependent. We need one another if we are to be more fully the church. As I said, the local congregation is the church, but it is not the whole church. The Baptist Union is not them or it, 
The Baptist Union is us. The London Baptist Association is not them or it. The London Baptist, Associa London Baptist Association is us. And the same is true of the European Baptist Federation, the Baptist World Alliance, and the Baptist Missionary Fellowship, or BMS World Mission as it's rebranded these days. They need us, and we need them. And they tell us that they don't need us at their loss. And we tell ourselves that we don't need them to our loss. But here's where it gets difficult. Sometimes it can be very difficult to stay together. As the European Union have discovered, simply having high founding ideals of subsidiarity doesn't necessarily mean that some people aren't going to leave. And when one of our wider structures does something that at a local level we find unpalatable or unacceptable, we have a difficult choice to make. We either stay and remain committed to the covenant of trust, even when it hurts, even when we don't like it, or we walk away, break fellowship and seek new relationships elsewhere. It's the same choice that somebody who falls out of relationship with their local fellowship faces. Do you stay or do you go? And sometimes we do as a congregation or as congregations find ourselves at odds with our wider structures. Sometimes a local congregation will reach a point of discernment on an issue which is not shared by the majority of churches or which is opposed by powerful voices within the union. This is precisely where some Baptist churches have found themselves if they've taken the decision to register for the solemnization of same-sex marriage. Those of you who have been following this story in terms of Bloomsbury's relationships more widely will know that this is a fraught issue. In the face of opposition, some of it very personal and some of it more structural, do we walk away or do we stay in the covenant of trust? My argument has been all along that we stay put, but we do not stay silent. Because I believe the wider union needs our voice, just as much as we need to hear theirs. But there is a cost to not breaking fellowship. And some of that cost will be borne by those who then find they have to remain in fellowship with others who disagree with them. In fact, more than that, with others who think that they are sinful, flawed, or in need of salvation. That is a difficult thing to bear. And those of us whose commitment is to continued relationships between the congregations of the Baptists need to know that we are asking the more vulnerable and marginalised amongst us to bear a disproportionate cost for that decision. But then also breaking away carries its own cost. And not just to us, but to those in other fellowships who long for their church to change on this issue. Who will then be denied our voice and input and challenge if we absent ourselves from the dialogue. The same argument is to be had about women in ministry. What should we do with those Baptist churches who will not affirm the ministry of women? Should we break fellowship or continue to walk along the way of trust? as we continue to discern together, challenge each other to change and to greater attention to scripture and to the whisper of the spirit of Christ. I think for me, it comes down to belonging. 
The Baptist family is my family. It is where I belong. I'm not just a generic Christian who could worship anywhere but has just ended up in a Baptist church. I do believe that baptism is for believers on profession of faith and not for infants. I do believe that it is all of our responsibility to bear witness to the good news of Jesus. I do believe that each church has liberty to discern the mind of Christ for itself. I do believe that wherever two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus, there the church is to be found. I do not accept the authority of bishops, but I am committed to the church universal beyond my small corner. Put all of that together, I'm a Baptist. If all of that comes together in you, dare I suggest you are too. And Bloomsbury is a Baptist church. Those are the values that we embody and live out. And as such, it is my ongoing conviction that we need one another. I need you and you need me. And we need them and they need us. Indeed, it may be that our deep need of each other, across the convictions and conventions that might divide us, can speak powerfully to a world hell-bent on tribalism and fragmentation. What prophetic witness do we offer to a world that is tearing itself apart if we can show what it is to live well together with difference? We can only do this if we learn how to live well together. If we can learn to be the body of Christ, one body. As Ephesians tells us, we are called to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Great God of creative abundance, we come before you this morning as people in need of your generous blessing. And so we offer ourselves to you with open hands and receptive hearts. Take away from us our pretensions of self-reliance and unmask for us our images of self-security. Help us to realise our fleeting blessings of health, wealth and power are but fragile idols of sustenance and that we entrust our souls to them at our peril. May we learn instead to see ourselves and our world with your eyes. May we come to appreciate where true value lies, both within ourselves and within the lives of others. May our eyes be opened to the gentle gifts of grace that you have placed in our midst. And may we come to value the abundance of your hidden yet dawning kingdom as it is made real in our midst. So we offer ourselves to your service. Take the gifts of our lives and bless them, that we might become a blessing to others. Whether we bring wealth or weakness, power or poverty, health or helplessness, we place our lives into your hands and ask for your blessing. We offer before you today the resources of this church. We offer our resources of people, from pastors to volunteers to occasional attendees. We offer our resources of money, from that which sits in our personal bank accounts to that which we hold collectively as a community. We offer our building, our contacts, our friendships, our whole bodies 
and the body of Christ that is this church in this place. May we learn together the lesson that hoarding the resources of the kingdom is not what we are called to do. Grant us courage to release to your service the gifts you have given us. And so mindful of the needs of others, we pray for those who live in need, poverty, uncertainty and fear, aware that you call us to play our own part in the coming of your kingdom of peace and justice. We pray for all those who are hungry today, and especially those who have this week used a food bank for the first time in order to feed themselves or their families. We pray for all those who will share lunch in this building today, as we sit down together to share with one another the blessing of food. May this tangible sign of your kingdom be transformative and life-giving in our midst. As we have shared bread and wine, symbols of your body broken and made whole, we pray for those who have an unhealthy or abusive relationship with food and drink. From the overweight to the anorexic, from the middle-class drinker to the hardened alcoholic, we recognise how easily the kingdom blessings of food and wine can become distorted in our own bodies. And so we pray for all those who will visit an anonymous group this week. May we, each of us, learn to see ourselves as you see us, that through our bodies, your body may be made known. We pray for those who have the power to make changes at a national level, from policymakers, politicians and business and industry leaders. Keep them from the dehumanising commodification of humanity and may they instead find ways of bringing the body politic to health for the common good. We ask for and commit ourselves to your transformative vision of a just and equal society where none go hungry and all are fed. And so finally we pray for ourselves. May we learn to share both the hidden and visible blessings of our lives, offering ourselves and all that we are and have to the service of your inbreaking kingdom of equality and justice. In the name of Jesus Christ, we offer all these our prayers. Amen.